Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Yo, what's up, fam? Good to see you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. If you're watching online, you're just as much family to us as well. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I got to show you this, this study I found recently. Time Magazine uh, publishes a, uh, a happiness index every year. They want to judge uh, how happy Americans are. They do this at the beginning of every year. Uh, they ask a series of questions. It depends on uh, relationships, uh, money, job, your outlook on life, uh, security, your marriage, your kids, your community, the friendships that you have. And uh, check out what Americans voted year by year every January. In 2019, over half of our country uh, considered themselves to be happy. Uh, 2020 uh, rolls around 48%, a little less than half. Uh, 21, 2021, last year, 41%. And this January, this year in 2022, 38% of people, of Americans said, I'm happy. That is 62%, whoo, that was risky right there. 62% of Americans are unhappy. I know we lost an hour of sleep last night and I'm bad at math, the whole deal is rough. Here's some interesting stats about it. People over the age of 65 were the happiest age demographic. Retired people living the dream, right? Playing golf and pickleball and going to the beach and just getting it done. Uh, out of the six geographic regions of America, one particular region scored higher than any other region. Guess which one it was? Uh, the South. People are, of course, right? Biscuits, sweet tea. Uh, people in the South are more happy than any other demographic uh, across the country. And here's what's interesting connected to money. Who do you think the happiest people in America are? You would think it was the richest people, right? No, actually, people that made between fifty and $75,000 whole household income were the happiest people in the country. That means people even over the bracket of $250,000 a year plus were not as happy as middle-class average range American families making $50,000 a year. It just goes to show you money's not gonna buy you happiness. Those were the people that said they were the, the most satisfied. Out of, out of all of the research areas, they found the people that had one thing in common that were the happiest. Uh, they say this is the key. If you want to flip the switch on your happiness in life, there's one area that you can focus on that would make the fastest change in the shortest period of time. He says, people that are the happiest are people that have the best relationships. People that have the best marriages, uh, the best family life, uh, the best relationship with their neighbors, with their coworkers, with their boss. Relationships was the key if you want to be happy in life. Uh, the whole book of Colossians is uh, about living life to the full, living life on full, being happy, living in the fulfillment that only God can give you. And in chapter three, as Paul begins to kind of land the plane for the book of Colossians, he's actually going to give us a really practical lesson on how to be happy in relationships. Here's, here's the key. If you want to be happy, stats say, if you, if you want the fast track to happiness, focus on relationships. Paul says, I'm going to give it to you right here, right now. Here's how you can be happy in your relationships. And for Paul, it revolves all around one word. 
Paul writes about relationships multiple times in, in the books that he has in the New Testament. And it all, every time he mentions relationships, whether it's friendships or marriage or family or life, whatever it is, he mentions this one word. For every relationship you have, if you want to be happy, you have to understand that God has a role for you to play. In your marriage, husbands and wives have roles. In your family, moms and dads and kids have roles. At your job, every single person that works in that company or organization has a, a role that they have to fulfill in order for the team to win. Now, let me give you a trigger warning, okay? I'm gonna say some things today that are gonna make some of you upset. Some of you would label them as not PC. And if you know your boy, you know I don't care about that. Um, so just giving you a heads up, um, what the Bible says about a lot of things flies in the face of what culture says about a lot of things in the world. Like if you've read the Bible very much, you know some of those things stick out. And that's why I wanted to start with the happiness index. Because I want to make the argument today that the way that culture views relationships has gotten us to a place where 62% of Americans say they're not happy. Only 38% of people look at their life and their relationships and say, I, I, I like where I am right now. I like my marriage. I like my family. I like my relationship with my neighbors and friends and coworkers and my boss. I like it. So here's the deal. I'll give you a choice. If you want to do what culture does, then you can get what culture will give you. If you want to act like culture and talk like culture and think like culture and, and be culture, then welcome to the 62% of culture that's not happy with relationships. I want to be happy. <laughs> so there's a time in my life where I said, hey, I might want to rethink some things. <laughs> if everybody else is miserable, I don't want to be miserable. So maybe we got to do something else. Maybe culture is wrong. <laughs> maybe the way that people view roles and relationships and marriage and, 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 and all of these different friendships and relationships, maybe they're missing something. Because it seems that so many people are unhappy. So many marriages are broken. So many people want out. So many people hate the people they work with and hate their boss and just are looking for an escape. If that's you and you want what culture gives, then do what culture does. I'm not interested in that. I want to be happy. I want to do it God's way so that I can get God's promises and God's results when it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my family, and when it comes to my relationships. So here's the three relationships that Paul is going to talk about today. It's going to cover every single person in the room. He said, I want to tell you your roles in marriage. I want to talk to you about roles in your family. And I want to talk to you about roles where you work in your career, outside of the home, inside of the home, and in your relationships. If you're not married, like, then think, think about it with this lens. Before I get married, this is what I want to look for. This is what I need to, to be in order to have a great relationship. So first of all, Paul's gonna start with marriage in, in Colossians chapter three. Now, let me give you a caveat here because there's already, like I can see some people are getting nervous. You're getting tense a little bit. Uh, let me clarify something. Uh, roles, number one, write this down. Roles and ranks are not the same thing. See, our culture believes that unless you fulfill a certain role, then that means you are less significant than whoever you're with. 
unless you have a certain title or you can do a certain thing, then that means you are not as powerful, not as important, not as smart, not as significant, and, and like you are just secondary to the other person that has that role. And a lot of people think that the Bible teaches that specifically wives or women are less significant than their husbands and less significant than men. Heads up, that's not what the Bible says. We're going to read what the Bible says together. So knowing your role does not make you any less or more of an individual. It just means that two people that understand their role in a relationship is how a marriage works. Like get that, God has designed husbands to have a role and wives to have a role. And the only way you're going to have a good marriage is when both people understand their role and embrace it and do it. Your choice, you want to be 38% or you want to be miserable? You wanna do what culture does and get what culture gets? Or do you wanna sit back and say, maybe it's time to think about what God says about relationships. If you wanna be happy, it's time to, to rethink some things. It's time to rethink relationships God's way. So stop believing the lie that your role in your family and in your marriage makes you more or less significant than someone else. Every great marriage is when two people understand their roles and they succeed together. Got it? Here's how I wanna start. Chapter three, verse 18, Paul says, let's talk about marriage first. Here's the first verse, chapter three, verse 18. Check this out. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. The S word, I said the S word from stage, not that one, the other one. Here's the first thing to write down. Wives, submit. Wives, submit. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that you have just said. And everybody said? Amen. Hey, some husband's going to be sleeping on the couch tonight. Y'all said that amen a little bit too loud. That's the cuss word, submit. Nobody wants to talk about submit or submission. Here's the reason why. Because really there's only, con there's only one context in our world where we use that word, and it's wrestling. It's MMA fighting. This is what submission means. It's one fighter grabs the other fighter and either twists their arm or chokes them out eventually to where they can't move and they, there's nothing else that they can do and they just submit. They tap out and say like, stop, don't hurt me anymore. Like I'm done. And one person wins and one person loses. And some people will read this verse and when they say wives submit to your husbands, they'll say, that's what it is. Like my husband is just gonna twist my arm until I give him what he wants or do what he says, or I'm gonna lose and he's gonna have to win. And so the Bible is telling me that, that I'm just the one that's always gonna be the one that loses and has to submit to him. And that's not what submit means. You've been watching too much MMA. Another word for submit in, in the Bible, let me, let me reframe it for you so you don't feel like you're, you're losing a fight and that's what God's calling you to do. Um, another great word for submission in the context of scripture is to follow. Wives, follow your husbands. And heads up, girls, if, if you can't follow the guy, you don't need to marry him. If you've already married them, like we're in it to win it now. Okay, so stick it out. <laughs> like, <we'll, laughs> let's pray together. <laughs> let's believe God. <laughs> But listen, like, it just makes common sense. Like, no girl wants to marry a guy that they can't sit back and say, yeah, I would follow him. 
I would do life with him. We can be on this journey together. It's simple. It makes perfect sense. Wives, follow your husbands. It's a great picture of marriage. Like you look at your spouse and you're like, girl, you are my ride or die. Like we are together. We are in it to the end, no matter what happens. I got your back. You got my back. There's this mutual submission where the wife looks at the husband and says, I'm going to follow you. Now, let me clarify what submission does not mean. Submission does not mean wives, that you lose your voice. It does not mean that you check your brain at the door. It doesn't mean that, well, whatever he says we're going to do, even if it's bad, even if it's wrong, even if it's harmful and hurtful and, and is illegal, no, that's not, it doesn't mean stop thinking. It doesn't mean that, well, whatever he says goes, and I don't have a chance to share my opinion. I don't have a, a voice anymore. That's, that's not what it means. In, in fact, great marriages have the exact opposite of that. Like husbands know that their wives are, their opinions, their words are valuable to them. Out of anyone that could say anything to me, I'm telling you this as a husband, so wives, check this out. I'm, I'm speaking for all of us. Uh, your words to your husband matter more than anyone else's words. Your words contain more power than anyone else's words. I'll prove it to you. If any of you came up to me after the service and we were talking about doing something and you looked at me and said, Nathan, I think you can do it. I would probably look at you and say, you don't even know me, right? I don't care what you think. Like, don't, don't tell me what I can and can't do. Now, at the end of the service, if I go home and I talk to Elizabeth and she looks at me and she says, Nathan, I believe you can do this. I start to think crazy thoughts. I start to think I can do anything. Like when Elizabeth says that to me, like, I'm like, girl, you, you, me and you, let's go. Let's, let, we're going to have, if you say that to me, I'm like, okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Not, not in one ear and out the other. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. But Elizabeth's words matter. They carry more weight than anyone. If you come up to me after the service and say, man, that sermon was great. I'm going to be like, hey, thumbs up. I don't even know if you know what a good sermon looks like, man. But Elizabeth, if I go home and she says, man, that sermon, man, that was on fire. Like I start to think I'm Billy Graham all of a sudden or something. Like I'm up here, I'm like, I might be the greatest preacher that ever lived, man. Elizabeth's words, our wise words matter. So submission is not saying, I don't care what you think. Just keep your mouth shut and I'll be the one that makes the decisions. Submission is, is not losing your voice. So don't think that because husbands value their wife's voice more than anything. And I tell you that ladies, because like, be careful. Because when you say something that tears your husband down, it cuts deeper than when anybody else says anything. And when you say something that builds your husband up, it resonates in our minds and in our hearts and souls more than any other person. Words matter. We're not discounting your words. Paul isn't saying when, when you are a wife and you submit to your husband, it's not checking your brain and checking your voice out at the door. It's understanding that in a marriage, we all have roles. Now, let me clarify something because the Bible does not say that women should submit to men. It doesn't say girlfriends should submit to boyfriends and people that are engaged, the, the bride-to-be should submit to the husband-to-be. This is strictly in a marriage relationship. You make the decision that you're gonna follow this guy, this is your ride or die, then you are going to submit and follow him for the rest of your life. That's how Paul lays it out. Great marriages are a partnership between two people and both people understand their role. Now I'm gonna come back to submission. I'm not done with submission. We're gonna come back to that. I'm gonna sweep, circle back around. But I gotta go to verse 19 because Paul also says, hey guys, let me tell you what your role is. 
Verse, verse 19, after saying submission is for the wives, in verse 19 he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love your wives. And my goal is over the next few minutes, uh, you're going to understand, ladies, how great of a word submit is and how much you would much rather submit than to have to do what this L-O-V-E word is. This, my goal is by the end of this sermon, this is, wives, this is gonna be your favorite text in all the Bible. Somebody asks you, what's your favorite text? Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Let's talk about this. Husbands, scripture says, husbands, your job is to love. Your role is to love. Wives, submit, husbands, love. Let's, let's talk about what love means. Love means you sacrifice for your wife. Love will always come without sacrifice. Heads up, you don't love anything in your life without sacrificing for it. Love and sacrifice always go together. You're gonna sacrifice your time, your energy, your efforts, your desires, your dreams. Love means sacrificing those for the ones that you love. Guys, we are not called to love our wives if they are mistake-free. We're not called to love our wives if they do everything that we ask them to do. We're not called to love them only if they are right. Only if they look good today, just like the same they look good when we married them. We are not called to love them if life is all rainbows and unicorns and sunshine and everything is perfect. Paul says, love your wife, period. All the time. It never ends. Ceaseless, sacrificial, selfless, unwavering. Love means encouraging your wife. Love means building her up, speaking highly of her. Not just to her face, but behind your, her back when you're with your boys. Like, don't talk bad about your wife when you're with your friends. That's not loving her. That's not building her up and encouraging her. That's not putting her in front of yourself. That's not selfless sacrifice like God's called us to. Are the words that you're speaking over your wife encouraging her? Are they edifying her? Are they building her up? Like, you're creating an environment in your home as the husband that is essentially a garden, and the purpose is for you to plant your wife there and allow her to flourish. Allow her to do whatever God has called her to do. She's gonna be successful because you are loving her well. Whatever that success looks like, that's what we are called to. That's what love is. Are you challenging her? Are you leading her? Are you moving forward in life with her? Are you telling her how much you love her, how you're complimenting her and building her up, helping her, making sure your wife feels loved and approved? Love always means you're putting your wife in front of yourself. That's what a real husband does. Now, let me tell you what love is not. Let me tell you what, what the opposite of submission is not. She doesn't submit to you so that you can bully her so that you can just tell her what to do, whether you can say it's my way or the highway, so you can put your, your thumb, uh, put her underneath your thumb and just kind of hold her there. In fact, Paul says, I, like, I know how some of you guys are, so I wanna clarify it. He says, I want you to love your wife and listen, and do not be harsh to her. Don't speak harshly to her. Don't treat her harshly. Like talking to your wife is not the same thing as talking to your boys. It's not talking to the dudes you work with. Totally different conversation. Your wife is a lovely flower, okay? Treat her with kindness and gentleness. That's what he says, don't be harsh, be gentle. Now let's be real, man. Gentle is a word, I'm, I mean, this is a stereotype here, an incredibly accurate stereotype. Most dudes aren't gentle. Like we don't walk by, it's like, you see that guy over there? Very gentle guy. Like nobody says that. And for some reason, like, guys, we don't want to be known as a gentle person. We want to be over-the-top manly man. 
And Paul says, I know sometimes maybe you're going to get in culture where people want to be overly manly and, and talk crude and crass. Here's what you're called to do. You want to know your role? Gentleness, not harsh towards your wife, but gentleness in the way you speak to her, the way you treat her, the way you care for her, your attitude and your actions towards your wife. That's what it means to love your spouse. Even, even Proverbs says a gentle answer turns away wrath. If you're arguing a lot in your marriage and you're yelling a lot in your marriage, it's probably because gentleness is long gone. Because the Bible says gentleness, a gentle response, a gentle heart, a gentle nature pours away wrath, avoids the fight, avoids the argument, avoids the yelling, avoids the complaining. Gentleness is what it is. So if, if Paul tells us that the role of the man is to love, and the role of the woman is to submit, then we gotta understand something. If your wife, fellas, if your wife is following you, then that means another part of your calling is to lead. Like you need to lead. You love her by leading her. She's gonna follow you. Make sure you're not leading her into a ditch. Make sure you're not leading her in the wrong direction. Make sure you're not leading her into hardship. So what, what do leaders do? What does it look like to lead? If men are supposed to lead, one of the things we do is we take responsibility. That's what real men do. That's what husbands do. That's how they love their wives. They take responsibility. They know what to do and they do it. Here's the deal. When you're, when you're a husband, taking responsibility means you don't blame your wife. You don't throw your wife underneath the bus. You don't complain about what your wife does or doesn't do. You don't look at what doesn't done, didn't get done and complain to her about it or blame her for it. Man, we got, we got too many guys asking the question, whose fault is it? And too few men willing to step up and say, I don't care whose fault it is, whose responsibility is it? That's what loving husbands do. That's what men do. That's the role that we have. If you are not leading in your marriage, then you're gonna blame shift. Oh, it's not my fault. That's her fault. I'm doing all the, ah, don't worry about that. Not my problem. <laughs> when God gave you the, the title of man and husband in your marriage, he gave you the responsibility to lead. And it doesn't matter whose fault it is. Let me prove it to you. Let's throw it back to Genesis chapter three. You remember when Eve ate the fruit? Eve talked to the snake. Eve touched the fruit. Eve ate the fruit. Eve passed it to Adam. What happened when God showed up? Who was God looking for? Adam. Eve made all the mistakes. It's not my fault, God. I didn't, look, this is what Adam said. He says, it's not my fault. It was the woman that you put here. I didn't want to talk to the snake. I didn't want to eat the fruit. I don't want to eat fruit at all. I want to eat nothing but meat and sit on the couch and play video games. Like, it's not my fault. And God steps in the middle of that and said, Eve ate the fruit. Eve talked to the snake. Adam, where are you? Why? because it was Adam's responsibility. Well, it was Eve's fault, who cares? It was Adam's responsibility. God came down and said, Adam, we need to chat. He didn't come to Eve. He didn't walk around the garden and say, I can't believe what Eve did. Where's Eve at? Eve, we need to talk. He said, man, the one that I left in charge, the one that is responsible, the one that is the leader, the one that I called to love their wife that I blessed you with. Who cares whose fault it is? It's your responsibility, dudes. 
It's our responsibility as men. Leadership is also not a personality type because I meet some guys that are like, you know what, man? Like I'm, I'm kind of the cool, calm, collected guy. I'm not the loudest voice. Like my wife, she has a big personality. And so like she likes to make the decisions. She likes to do that thing. And we've convinced ourselves that a leadership style, what it means to be a leader is a personality style. It's not. Like I'm married, Elizabeth, she's smart, she's educated, she's a leader, uh, she's got a great career, knows, like she's independent, can make, leads her team, leads clients, leads staff in the office. But when it comes to our house, she looks at me and she said, Nathan, I'm looking to you to lead. I'm gonna follow you because that's the role that when we read in scripture, they said, man, that's the role that happens in a great marriage. So it's not about who's the loudest voice in the room or who's the best decision maker or who can talk the, the, the best. Doesn't have anything to do with that. Men, husbands, you are called to lead. You're called to love. You can have a quiet confidence as a leader. Leadership, <laughs> I can see all the women are like, I'm starting to like this passage right here. I like this guy, we should join this church. Let's keep going on leadership. Leadership is not just about being in charge. It's about taking responsibility. Leadership isn't just a title that you're like, well, I'm the leader so that I put me in charge and I get to make all the decisions and, and what I say goes. No, it's, it's, not, it's not about a title. It's about responsibility. Here's what leaders do. When something goes right, they deflect the responsibility to, or the, the praise to other people. And when something goes wrong, they accept all of the responsibility on themselves. That's what men do. That's what husbands do. Let me give you an example. I was taught this at a very young age. Um, when I lived in Columbia, uh, we had a next door neighbor uh, that had a, a two-story house right next to ours. Now, now the side of our house, my dad had bushes and, and trees growing up beside it, but my neighbor's house didn't have any trees or any bushes or any flowers next to his house. It was just a big flat brick wall with a couple of windows. And my brother and I loved that wall. We would throw baseballs up against that house. We would play wall ball. We'd throw tennis balls up against. We had hockey sticks and we would slap the pucks up against uh, my neighbor's house. And, and here's what, yeah, it had windows and it had like this big thing at the top that had screen on it that was like airing out the, the, the attic, <laughs> the thing at the top of the house, the attic, right? Well, we didn't think about that. So my brother and I are just out there throwing baseball, throwing baseball. Well, one slips and this baseball goes straight through the screen at the top of my neighbor's house and messes up the little facade that was on it and messes the whole thing up. Well, I did that and I did what any responsible 10-year-old would do. I did not tell my dad. <laughs> well, the neighbor found out and my dad found out. And here's what my dad did. My dad got my brother and I and we walked across the street to the neighbor's house and we knocked on the door and my dad looked at him and said, I'm sorry. My son threw something at your, they were out there playing, boys, um, here's money to replace it. If you want me to replace it so you don't have to pay somebody to do it, I'll do it. I'll replace it for you. I wanna, I wanna make it right. And where'd my dad get that money? Not from my piggy bank. I didn't have that money. Who blamed it? My dad didn't blame me. He didn't say, man, this peasant son of mine. <laughs> he looked and he said, my boys are my responsibility. I don't care whose fault it is. It's my responsibility. I'll pay for it. I'll knock on your door. I'll do the right thing. I'll come clean. I'll make sure you know. That's what good husbands do. They take responsibility for it. They don't blame it. It's my responsibility. Paul says, man, you wanna have a great marriage? Everyone has roles. And if two people would be willing to embrace their roles, then you'll have a great marriage. Let me throw it back 
to verse 18. Remember, husbands, a leader calls us to do the hard stuff first. Husbands, we apologize first. We serve first. We sacrifice first. We choose humility first. Everything is about putting others in front of ourselves. So let's go back to verse 18. You ready? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Here's the deal. I've never met a wife that had a problem submitting to her husband when her husband loved her like I just told you the Bible says to love her. Never. Now I've had plenty of conversations about wives that wouldn't submit because their husbands weren't doing the role that they had laid out in scripture. Both roles work together. Guys, if we can learn the four letter word of love, then the S word won't be a problem. Everyone has a role. You wanna be happy or not? Take it or leave it, man. You you wanna be 62% that's not happy? Have at it. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I wanna do life God's way. I wanna do relationships God's way. I wanna do marriage God's way. I wanna be happy. There's the role of men and women in marriage. He transitions in in verse 20 to talk about this next relationship. Uh, Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. He says, you wanna know how to have a relationship with your family. Kids do this, kids honor and obey. Now I wanna be clear on something. Scripture calls kids to obey their parents and wives to submit to their husbands. Two different words. Submission means your wife still has a voice. You value her opinion. She has a say in what goes on. You take everything into consideration that she has, and then the man will lead and make the decision. Obey is not like that. I don't give my, ch- my kids a voice in what we do. <laughs> I don't, you don't submit to me, you obey me. Like, because if I asked my kids, hey, what do y'all want to eat tonight? Seven days a week, we'd be eating chicken nuggets and French fries. I tell you that back, like four of those days, we'd probably be eating ice cream. And then the other three, we'd be eating chicken nuggets and French fries. So my kids, they don't submit to me. They obey me. You don't have a say. You do what I tell you to do because I'm your dad. What's the reason? Because I said so. That's why honor and obey. Now here's, here's what makes me so confident in saying that. Because the older I get, the more I realize my mom and dad were right the whole time. <laughs> Growing up, I didn't think my parents knew anything. I said, like, man, y'all, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Y- y'all aren't very smart. Y'all are not hit with the times. Y'all don't, y'all don't want me to have fun. Man, you're, you're just being a downer. And the older I get, I realize, shoot, dad was right. Man, that thing mom told me she was right. Doggone it, she was. I said, listen to her the first time. And Paul knows that the older you get, the more you realize, man, your your parents knew a lot. They cared about you. They had your best interest in mind and they were right. And so Paul says, man, I don't want you to wreck your relationship with your parents until you get older and realize you were wrong and they were right. So start from the very beginning with honor and obedience. Honor your elders and obey what your parents tell you to do. Now, I'll be honest, we live in a culture where uh, lots of times for kids, honor and obedience is like not close how they treat people. Here's my goal for you today. Here's my bet. If you would make honor and obedience a part of the culture of your family, then eventually people that don't know Jesus are going to look at your kids and say, hold up, what's different? Because everybody else's kids are losing their mind. Everybody else's kids are sassy and disrespectful and don't care about their elders. And I got to ask them 14 different times to do something, but your kids seem to obey you when you talk. And your kids seem to honor you and honor elders around them. How'd you do that? 
And that's when you're going to have the opportunity to say, well, you know what? Me and my spouse made a decision a long time ago that we were going to do family God's way. You want what culture has? Do what culture does. I don't want that. Now, that's not foolproof, okay? Because like, <laughs> if one of y'all see my kids in a restaurant and, and like they're throwing stuff, like caveat, doesn't work 100% of the time, okay? <laughs> they're both sinners, all right? <laughs> But and we're trying to instill this culture in our kids. Hey, honor and obedience, respect people and do what mom and dad tell you to do. That's the relationship that Paul lays out. You wanna have a great family? Let that be a part of your culture. Let, let honor and obedience be a part of, of that. Last, last relationship is in verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart in reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not as human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So clarify something right quick. When, when Bible writes the word slaves in this context, not talking about the slaves like we understand it. Um, this was actually a, an employee-employer relationship. An individual would actually go and sign a contract with a family or with an organization and they would sell themselves to the, the organization. It's kind of like when a school teacher signs a contract for the year. They're saying, I, I'm going to work for this school for the next year. I'm, I'm selling myself. And some teachers are like, that's what it feels like, selling myself. We're selling all that we have to work, to, to, to do this. And like, if you work at your job, you're essentially signing online. It says, I'll show up whenever you want me to and I'll get paid what we agree to and I'll do whatever is asked. I like, I am selling myself to the company and you are going to, to pay me for it. So it's a professional relationship. And so Paul says, here's there, there's two words. Like if you wanna know how to have a great relationship at work and, and with your boss, there's, there's two words too. I need for you to be honest and I need for you to be hardworking. If you want to be a worker that makes a difference for Christ, no matter where you go, you need to be honest and hardworking because I'm telling you, we live in a world where people are constantly cutting corners, where people are compromising character. They will lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead. They will stab you in the back and crawl all over you so that they can climb the corporate ladder and keep you down. They will badmouth you to their boss behind your back so that they can get the promotion instead of you. And in that culture, Paul says, you wanna know how you're gonna stand out at work? You know how you're gonna have a great relationship with those around you? You're gonna be a man or a woman of integrity and character. And you're always gonna work hard. Do your work, be the hardest worker in the room and do it with a smile on your face. Do it with a joyful heart. When we moved to Winston, uh, man, 10 or 12 years ago now, uh, we moved up with 30 of my friends to start Revo Church. And the oldest one of us was 25 years old. And uh, so a lot of the guys that came up with us, they were fresh out of college. And so they moved to Winston, they had to get a job. And there was one particular individual that worked downtown that hired three of our guys, three of our college grads that came up to plant from South Carolina. And after a month, uh, that guy called me on the phone. This dude is not a believer, not a Christian by any means. And he looked at me, he said, Nathan, do you have anyone else on your team that needs a job? I will hire all 30 of the people that work on your team, if you'll let me. And I will pay them more than I pay any other employee that works in my office. And I said, why? And he said, because everyone I've ever hired that's associated with Revo is someone that is trustworthy and has high character and they work harder than anyone else in the room. 
So you Christians must be different than everybody else. Bingo, bingo. So if anybody needs a job, let me know, he'll hire you. <laughs> Man, it made me feel good that, that our team, it was a secular job. It's not like they were working for the church, but, but they made such an impact. How? Because of their honesty and their integrity and no one worked as hard as the dudes that were associated with the Revo church team. And it made a difference and an impact in that guy's life and became the most popular people that worked in the office. Everybody loved them. Everyone wanted to have a relationship with them. And they built that trust and countless people in that office came to Christ because of the people that were in that room. Why? Just because they went to work and they were honest and maintained morals and high character and integrity and they worked their tails off. And God honored that. Workers just be honest and, and hardworking. Um, when, I, when I play board games, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm a rule follower, um, especially with Monopoly. Um, I'm real, real um, competitive when it comes to Monopoly. And uh, if I catch you taking too much money out of the bank, I'm gonna flip the table, just like Jesus flipped the tables in the Bible. <laughs> it's gonna be a situation. Well, sometimes I play with Monopoly with people that aren't rule followers. It seems like they got their own set of rules. Like they're making up stuff as they go. They're like, well, if you land in jail, you can roll again. And if you roll doubles, then you can get out. But if you don't roll doubles, like you got to miss two more turns. I'm like, man, you made that up, man. That's not real. That's not a real thing. So I've been known that in the middle of the game, I will pick the dice up off the board and I will pull the rule book out. And I'll say, man, we need to check what you just said. I need to check the rule, but I need to open up this up because I need to know how to win at the game. And you don't know how to win if you don't know the rules. And so God says, you want to win at relationships? You got to know the rules. You, you want to win in marriage? Here's the book right here. This tells you how to win. Tells you. You want to win in your family life? All you got to do, put the dice down, pick the rule book up. Pick up the directions for the game. This book contains directions for life and all of our relationships with it. You either want to win and be happy or you want to be loser and be miserable like everybody else. Your choice. We can do relationships God's way, or you can do what culture does and get what culture gets. Your choice. I want to be happy. I want to be married on full. I want my family on full. I want to enjoy where I work and who I hang out with on full all the time. I'm going to do it God's way. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for clear instructions on how we can win how we can win at life and marriage, how we can have a great family, how we can actually enjoy what we do from nine to five and make a difference, make an impact, live a life of significance seven days a week. So God, now I pray specifically for the dudes in the house, the husbands, God, help us, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we have just heard as we have a massive responsibility to love our wives well, to put their heart, their hopes, their dreams in front of ours, to take the responsibility of leadership so that our homes can be a place where not only our wives flourish, but our entire families would flourish. God, challenge us, help us to wrestle with that reality and the responsibility that you called us to. God, we embrace that and all the other roles will work out. So God, give us, give us that urgency to embrace the mission, to embrace that role that you've called us to. God, thank you for the instructions. Thank you for the shortcut to happiness. 
pray that we would walk in boldness and obedience in what you said today. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.